Tis the season to find your voice. It's episode 38. Welcome to season five of For Our Edification. Thank you for joining me on this episode of For Our Edification. For Our Edification is brought to you by Edify Ventures, LLC, brand strategy consulting for your people and you. Learn more by going to edifyventuresnola.com. I'm Eddie Francis. You can find past episodes of For Our Edification by going to eddiefrancis.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's talk about season five. Season five is all about personal leadership stories. I'm going to bring some people on who are going to tell their stories of personal growth and development and how that personal growth and development has inspired others. And so the goal is for you to have this very real takeaway, something that you hear that you can apply to your own life so that you can grow, you can develop, and your growth and development leads to the growth and development of the people around you. Whether that is in your personal life or your work life or wherever, I want you to be able to feel that and to use it. Dang it. Now, I need you to do something for me in return. And what I need you to do is I need you to let me know about it. If you hear something, no, 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 I'm sorry. When you hear something that inspires you, email me, eddie at eddiefrancis.com. Now, we can also have some discussion online. Uh, The best place to do it is actually my Facebook page. And you will see that link in the show notes and we can have a big community conversation about it. But just know that if you want your comment to be anonymous, if you email it to me, then it will most definitely be anonymous. Otherwise, I will use your name or I will use your screen name. Okay, so we got a deal deal. All right. So this episode, um, we have a great guest by the name of Kimberly O'Neill, and she has this really cool story of learning the value of her voice, not just figuratively, but you're going to hear in her story, even literally at one point as well as her value as a leader. And what I really want you to get out of this episode is the value of your voice to edify yourself and the causes and the people that you care about while engaging, by the way, in self-care. And you engage in self-care, then that loops right back around to edifying your personal leadership. Now, Kimberly O'Neill is a social entrepreneur who serves as the CEO of Giving Blueprint and the creator of Call Studio, a nonprofit initiative that addresses the needs of failing startups. Some of her distinctions are actually so cool. Uh, She was once the youngest black woman to serve as a city manager in the U.S. She did a 2016 TED Talk called Your Voice is Your Currency. More information about Kimberly is available in the show notes, and I do hope you enjoy the interview. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on For Our Edification. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing all right. You know, it's a good day. And so I'm always excited to talk to good people and just chop it up. So thank you for inviting me. 
good people where 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 no let me stop all right so um so you you do some really really interesting work um as far as giving blueprint is concerned call studio which i i've seen your social media posts about call studio and i'm like man this this actually looks kind of fun um and so i'm i'm really interested in what motivated you to do the kind of work that you do I think, you know, I think it's always been there, Eddie. I don't, you know, doing community work wasn't an option in my household. So let's just start there. Okay. And so it, it just, it wasn't, you know, you go serve your church, you serve your community, you get up on Sunday, you have stuff to do on Saturday. It just wasn't an option, but it just, it wasn't with my parents. It, I'd see it on both sides of my families with my grandparents and with my aunts and with my uncles as well. And so when I got to college and I got my first internship, I really think that was my freshman year. I really think that anchored in the type of work that I was going to do and connecting with people was going to be a big part of it. You know, fun fact that a lot of people don't know, my original goal was actually to be a CIA agent. Really? Uh, that is what I wanted to do. Um, and I had talked to a recruiter. And when they shared that I wouldn't be able to tell my mama where I was going sometimes, that just went out the that just went out the door because I knew that just wasn't realistic for the kind of family that I have or the kind of worry that I would want my mother to have. And so and the backup was actually just serving in government. Um, that was that was the goal. And so um, just serving people and really owning from a government perspective that I work for the people, regardless of my position, that the people pay my salaries. And I adopted that mindset very early. And so it was always about service. It was always about getting it right. It was always about putting the people first. And if I did that well, then I would be served through opportunity in government, no matter where it would be. Mm. Okay. So a couple of fun things. Uh, Where did you grow up? New York City, born and raised in Queens, New York. Cool. And then uh, you said you went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to undergrad North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro. So I'm an Aggie through and through okay. um, and went back home for grad school. So I went back home to New York. Um, I believe in public education. So I went back home to, to work on my master's degrees. Okay, A and T, home of the greatest homecoming on earth. All right, I, one of these, I gotta put that is something I gotta cross off my bucket list. I gotta do, I gotta do Jiho one of these days, and then, yeah. and then, and then now also the distinction as the largest HBCU in the country. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask. Yeah, all right, it so is. I, I got, <laughs> I, I gotta ask you a quick A and T question. I got a couple. Yeah. All right, one, one I'm gonna be kind of messy about, but anyway, so the, oh, the one, one I gotta ask is. It's so funny whenever um, I hear folks talk about HBCUs and they're like, oh, well, you know, the best HBCUs in the country and four come up all the time. It's always Morehouse, Spelman, Howard, Hampton. And depending on who you're talking to, Hampton may be in there. And the question I've had lately, since I'm somebody who's worked at three HBCUs, I'm like, well, why isn't A&T ever in one of the best HBCU conversations, especially if it's the biggest one? Why don't you throw in Morgan State? Why why isn't Fam you in there? It's interesting that th- is that we have a bunch of publics 
and on all of the best ones are private. So that's really, what do you think when you hear that sort of thing, when they bring up the quote unquote, the best? So I think, you know, this, this actually, this comes up a lot in terms mm-hmm. of why do, why is it that we always see philanthropists and funders give money to Morehouse and Spellman mm. and Howard? And I do think, you know, people underestimate the needs of public Um, public schools. And so when you think about the private institutions, they typically have large mouthpieces, right? Working Mm -hmm. in community on their behalf and they're pushing that narrative forward. They're private institutions. They don't get the same kind of funding. Um, But the reality is our state state institutions are underfunded as compared to their PWI counterparts. And so, you know, I I think the good thing about being under-recognized in that way is that when you do recognize the power in not just the A&T, because A&T is just magnificent, right? (laughs) But but when you, we're just... If you say so yourself. If if I say so myself, like we are just magnificent. Um, Aggie born, Aggie bred, you know, you learned that on day one. But Mm. when you get to learn about these other institutions, large and small, and whatever their niche areas are, um, you really realize how impactful HBCUs are around this country. And the caliber of students that are coming out. And it really helps to me to dispel the myth that we just happen to get in HBCUs because we couldn't get into other institutions where there was no other choice for me. And HBCU was the choice for me. I applied to the other institutions in case an HBCU didn't want me, Mm. right? And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there there was no option Um, My parents gave me the option, but they're also both HBCU grads. But this was my choice. I wanted to be someplace. You know, I I went to school with all black kids until high school. And that was a choice, too. My mother said, "Okay, if you're going this route, then we need to make sure that you can engage with everybody. Mm -hmm. And so and it's actually the first time I ever experienced racism. Mm, Right. was when I got to high school. And so I think the HBC were the when it comes to public institutions, I feel like us as alumni that we have to also do a better job with seeing the praises louder, you know, beyond mm-hmm. what everybody already knows. But those those milestones and those achievements that make us comparable and we're competing against some of the larger institutions, PWI institutions. We have to be louder like we see with these other other institutions as well. But, you know, like I said, you know, A&T is just great um, <laughs> all across the board. And I wasn't even an engineer. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we got right. so to do the shout out. So your parents, where they go to school? They went to Livingstone College. Oh, South cool. North all right. Carolina. In North Carolina. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here's the messy question. Because I heard this one day and I was like, what are they talking about? NCAT. Is it NCAT or is it A&T? No, it's, it's, it's A&T. So NCAT, because of the hashtag, because of how it was used, we're talking about digital natives. NCAT is easier. A and T is not because if you use the ampersand, then well, yeah. you can't use it as a hashtag. And so um, for us older folks, 
when we hear NCAT, we're like, no, a and It's 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 a Or it's simply, if you're from that area, it's simply T. Right? So, oh, right? Okay, if, you, okay. if you are ingrained, you might just even short yeah. even more. But it will always be A&T to me. It will never be NCAT unless I'm using <laughs> a hashtag. But it is A-N-T. Um, and it's always going to be that, but it's a generational, it's a generational thing. And it, you know, what's so funny, Eddie, Jiho was the same thing. It took us a while to like really embrace Jiho as the <laughs> abbreviation for the greatest home. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what is that? But but it's the pride <laughs> behind it. But the NCAT, I don't, I can't say NCAT. It will always be my beloved ANT to me. So let's let's get into the TED Talk. Yes. Uh, 2016, you do this TED Talk called Your Voice is Your Currency. Um, first of all, I love the title. Thank you. What inspired you su- to submit a proposal for that? I mean, what was going through Kim's head? So here's the thing. I didn't. I submitted a proposal for something totally different. And one of the organizers came to me. I submitted a proposal to talk about nonprofit work. And one of the organizers came to me and she said, your experience is so deep. Would you consider doing something that talks more holistically about your experience? And I was like, "Hmm, that sounds like, I might have a shot, right? That they're actually coming Mm -hmm. to me. And so Mm -hmm. when I really thought about it, I said yes, obviously. But when I thought about it, it's something that I have been saying for years. Your voice is your currency is one of the most Mm -hmm. valuable things that you have. When you speak up for community and you speak up for people that sometimes don't have a voice, when you speak up for people that you work with who may not be as comfortable in sharing their experiences because maybe they're not as seasoned in the workplace. And I just thought about some of my experiences personally and um, how I was able to escalate quickly in government and what that really meant. And the one thing that was solid was I was never afraid to say what needed to be said. And I feel that when you are able to do that with honor, right, not from an ego perspective, um, because truth be told, if I could just be anonymous and say things and no one would ever know who I am, I would be just as happy if I could just live my life. I just believe that we have gotten away from speaking up um, for people. And I really think I was born in the wrong generation. I I do. Um, I really think I should have been a younger baby boomer. Um, I tell people that I probably would have aligned with the Black Panther Party in terms of the community aspect. And I've always been that person. And it's really how my parents raised us and how we were involved. And like I said, it wasn't a choice. And so Mm-hmm. Your voice is your currency. I think about, I thought about all of the things and I asked them to give me some more time, right? But I knew that that was the title, but I had to figure out what the content was and how I wanted to frame it and what I was comfortable in sharing at that time. Because I have lots yeah. of stories, but not all of my stories are for the public. 
And I, mm-hmm. not all of the things that I've spoken up about and people I've spoken up for, that's not, sometimes they're not my stories to tell publicly, but it was my responsibility mm-hmm. to be involved in the moments that I was involved. And so I think that was the hardest part. Um, and just respecting my relationships, even if I don't talk to the people anymore, but just really respecting relationships that if I shared a story, people weren't really going to be able to connect the dots. If I said something that could potentially expose somebody's background that they may not have shared on their own. Mm. The irony of this though, is that you have such a strong voice and you can play the background, but your voice is so strong that you yourself have a wealth of currency. Yeah. And so is it's really interesting how much you want to play the background, but your voice is so needed. And, you know, the part about having, you know, thinking that you might have been born and you should have been born in another generation. Honestly, this generation needs you. I mean, I have this I have this core belief, Kim, that being value, being valued matters. That yeah. that is my core belief. Yeah. And I, that that is coming off of you. That energy is coming off of you so much. And now is a time that people need to hear. Like we really, it's interesting. You did this in 2016. It's 2023. Now more than ever, that message needs to be out there that people's voices are their currency. So, um, so it is really interesting to me that you have such a strong voice yourself and that gives you so much currency yourself to go out and influence other people to realize that their voices are their currency. So I don't even you know. realize I have it though sometimes because when I'm in the moment, I'm not thinking about anything except for the end result and ensuring yeah. that I'm not making matters worse for someone. Like I'm very cognizant of that. Um, I will hold back. That's what makes it so strong though. That's what makes it so strong. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. And so I think what, in terms of sometimes wanting that anonymity, it comes from, this is not an easy path. The person that is typically the most outspoken is often the person that can be the most ridiculed. It is the person that um, I have been told I talk too loud, I talk too fast. Um, it's that I was rude. And I'm like, can you tell me what I said that was wrong and rude? And I want you to be very specific. Or is it that you don't like that I challenged what you were sharing? Right? Because that's not rude. It's just that. For a lot of people, especially in the spaces that I work in, it comes from a place of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I challenge power and privilege, that's typically when I get the greatest pushback. And also because I was so young moving up the ladder, I had so many challenges to that. So people had always tried to silence my voice. You know, and it's just not possible. There's a when my my mother's father, when I was younger, he would always say my nickname for him um, was Kimono, and he would always say Kimono doesn't talk. Kimono doesn't talk because I was very mm-hmm. quiet. And then one day he started laughing. He said Kimono will not shut up because it's almost <laughs> like 
as this little kid, I found my voice, but it was through arguing with him. Like I would debate him on things and he loved it, but it became, I think then I recognized, oh, I can say things and oh, it does have some value, but how is it going to be received outside of my grandpa? How is it going to be received outside of my junior high school where the majority of the people, including the teachers, look like me? You know, what does that look like when you go to high school? What does that look like when you get into the work environments? What does that look like when you get into your first few job opportunities and people are pulling you in and questioning you because you are doing your job? They just don't like that you're able to do it at the level that you're able to do it because they can't control you. So it's been an interesting journey for me. And I think that's where, if I had to be honest, like I do want to do the work without the recognition, but I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I was recognized and that recognition wasn't always favorable um, based on people who weren't ready or weren't able to do work at a level that I was able to do at such a young age. Mm. You're listening to For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and we are speaking to Kimberly O'Neill. She's uh, a social entrepreneur. She's a CEO of Giving Blueprint, the creator of Cause Studio. So, uh, Kim, in in 2021, a Dallas Observer, they ran a pretty raw article about your experiences with racism as a college professor. And... um, for others who have endured workplace bullying, and by the way, that includes me, um, how have you worked get, to get yourself to a better place mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Because that that article was jarring, um, and and I was sitting there reading it, going, "This is absolutely insane that anybody had to deal with anything like this, especially at a college campus." So what have you done for yourself? Um, The more immediate thing, that article actually almost didn't happen. Um, Mm. I left very quietly. And Mm -hmm. it was when my peers, not even in my department, but my peers throughout the college community found out um, across campuses, they started reaching out and then they actually reached out to the paper. And Mm. I had one... Initially, I said no, I didn't want to. And then I said yes, but there were some qualifications on that. If you want to try to sensationalize my story, I don't want it done. Um, If you were, I don't want anything. I'm not trying to sue anybody. I don't, I just want to be done with it. But if I can share something that will make it better for people, I'm willing to do that. So if you can agree to that, I'm willing to share my story. And after that was done, I stopped talking to everybody. That was the most important thing that I did for myself because everybody saw it happening. I stayed for those students. I stayed for my peers who were newer, were of color, were of different religions outside of Christianity. Um, I always felt that I could take care of myself because my background, the root of my background, we call it DEI now, but we called it equal opportunity. And I'm not just talking about equal employment opportunity, but that's how I started my entire career. 
And so for me, I know how to protect myself. I knew what I could do. I know how to document. And I had been documenting. What I had not done is really paid attention to the death and the number of incidents. And Mm, I was talking to my mom and I had a, an anxiety attack while driving and I was on Mm. the phone with her. And that is the day because two things happened. One, I couldn't hide it and my mother had to hear it. And that I had to pull over. And I think that hurt me more that my mother had to hear it and that I couldn't control it and I couldn't hide it anymore. And so I did the article. I spoke to HR before I left. I gave everybody every interview they wanted. And I am also done inspection and investigation work. So I can remember stuff just because I'm trained to do it. And so I can just give you things. When my mind is right, I can give you things that I'm like, oh yeah, that that too did happen. Not just the stuff I documented. And once I was done, I was done. And so... I am a fan of therapy. I am a fan of disconnecting and disassociating from anything that brings or reminds you of trauma or tragedy or anything like that. And so for me, I just stopped responding. I got email messages for those that had my email, personal email, those who had my work text number um, that I, you know, my personal number that I use for business. For those that would send me messages on LinkedIn, I said no to everyone because no one was really asking me what they were trying to do was sensationalize and utilize me in a larger agenda that I didn't want to be a part of, even though I honestly knew that these people were good people that were calling and reaching out to me. But there was a big agenda that they too were after, and I didn't want to be a part of it. So just disconnecting was the first thing, and then being able to talk about it. And and I did not realize, you know, those that know me know I had a really bad season with COVID in 2020, and it affected me a lot. Um, I am a long hauler, and so I can still be triggered now by certain things. And my therapist said to me, I developed this really bad stutter. And I knew about my, there were two types of anxiety attacks I knew, Eddie. The one that everybody can tell you, she's having an anxiety attack. And then there was another that if you really knew me, you knew something was happening because my voice would change. So I could function like we're talking right now. But the tone in my voice would change. So my therapist pointed out, he's like, I know you know about those. And then he referenced that my stuttering was a third form. And so what I had to do for me as a public speaker, as an educator, as an entrepreneur, losing my voice was the scariest thing for me just to be able to communicate. And so... For those that are going through workplace bullying, I actually don't recommend that you just hold it like I do or like I did, right? right? Right. I don't. Um, I did it for very different reasons because of my background, but I do recommend for those that are going through any type of workplace bullying that 
you identify what wellness looks like. You know, let your HR departments, if you're still working in those spaces, let your HR department work what it's supposed to do based on what you're comfortable in sharing. But there's a wellness aspect to all of that. And, you know, Black folk carry it and we carry it well to we cannot carry it at all. And the way that it showed up for me was messy and it's scary. And so I think the wellness journey and not just therapy, go to the doctor, let them do your blood work, like all of it, because Mm -hmm. it all, as my therapist reminds me, I focus on you as a person. Because if your mind is not working well today, what's happening with the physical aspects of your body and all of those things. And so that is my strongest recommendation is focus on what a wellness plan looks like for you just to help you identify how to get you through each phase of what healing looks like, because it's an evolving process. It's not overnight um, and it doesn't feel good and it may bring up some other things that you've not paid attention to, but the wellness journey has been the most significant journey for me. Isn't it interesting how we as black folks, we feel like we have to carry the worst stuff. Yep. And, and, and people like our friends and our family will say, Hey, look, you got to let this go. But I know for me, I felt like for whatever reason, I felt like I had a responsibility air quotes to carry this really insane stuff with me. And I had a panic attack. I I actually sat in my office at work. I had no idea what was going on. My heart started palpitating. I started losing my breath and I was just sitting and I was scared. I was like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And when I started to kind of think through it and I started to control my breathing more, I was like, crap, I just had a panic attack, you know? And, but I, I too, I mean, I, I'm in therapy myself and, it's really interesting how when you really work through all of this, especially as a black person, you're sitting here thinking, no, 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 I, I got to be tough and I got to go through this and I, I got to I got to make it through. I got to push through. I got to push through. And at some point you just realize, well, I mean, yeah, I got to I got to live and I got to survive, but I don't have to punish myself. I don't and, have to punish myself at all. You know, I think the one thing people say to me that they think is a compliment is actually the opposite. If I mention that I cry, people like you cry. Right. And I have to remind people I'm not a robot. Right. You think I can do all of these things, but I have limits, too. And Mm -hmm. my limits have often before I establish those limits, that these things also ended up being sacrifices on my side. Right. And so you're used to seeing me as a sacrificial lamb in some respects who can just get things done. But I cry. And, you know, my mother always jokes when people she's like, she's the most emotional person I know. You know, my parents always say my father know and he knows me and he knows my voice and he knows when maybe I'm not having the greatest day because he's very in tune with all of us. But People think, you know, that she can just get it done and that's pressure. And it's I'm in a season now where I just actually won't accept the pressure anymore. It's just not Mm -hmm. part of this is not how I want to live the second season of life. This is not it's not fair to me. It's not fair to the people that are around me. And honestly, it's not fair to the people I serve. 
I can't show up as my best self if I'm not putting limitations on things. Yeah. If I'm not able to say no and, or at least say not now. Mm-hmm. And those are the things in this second season that I'm finally embracing as this is actually not a bad thing. And you get to enjoy your time and your life in a way that you haven't before. You have served people for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And how do you pull back a little bit now so that you can serve yourself and the things that are the most important to you outside of work? Yeah. You know, because work yeah. is work, but how do you how do you show up a lot differently? And so that's the part of this this season that I'm most excited about that I'm able to discern and differentiate um what's best for me and what no longer serves me. And even if I want to do it, that I can't do it well. And it's okay to say no or not now. Mm. All right. So this podcast, one of my, my, my passion, one of my passions has become personal leadership. And so considering the work that you do, whether it's call studio um, or whether, whether it is uh, giving blueprint or, or even outside of that, how do you lead yourself so that you can effectively lead others? Um, I invest in training. Um I don't have all the answers. I want to be in the rooms with the people that have more money than I do that look like me, that are willing and open to talk about hardships, um, Mm -hmm. that are willing to share, you know, how they got over humps. Um, I spend time, I don't have a television, so um, Mm. this is part of it. Um, Mm. Even when I- I actually kind of like that. I like that you don't have a television. I I have, so- since 2007, mm-hmm. I've had a TV probably three years out of all of that time. Um, so mm. it's not that I just don't watch it. I don't have one. Right. And um, for me, that was a wellness piece. It started off as an act of protest because I just didn't like my cable company. And then <laughs> I just didn't. You know, we yeah. were limited to who we could use in an apartment complex. Their customer service oh, was yeah. terrible. I'm a big customer service person. And I called them and said, disconnected. And I remember the the agent said, and then what will you do? Because they knew there was no, they had a 10-year contract with the co- complex. So, mm-hmm. so it started out as an act of protest. But what I realized is how much time I was getting back. It also, because I worked in government and because I was teaching at some point political science, it also allowed me to control what I had to pay attention to versus everything that was happening in the world that I just, I, it's a lot at one time, especially when you're facilitating classes around that. And so that became a really big thing. Um, so I listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, I wasn't an ebook person, but I am now. Um, books that I still, I still like to read books, but I try to at least get two eBooks in a week. Mm. Um, just listening to, just listening to them. It could be fiction. It could Mm -hmm. be nonfiction. It really doesn't matter. It just has to be somebody with a good voice. That's all. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the thing for me. But, um, I invest in myself. Um, I travel, um, 
I just became a digital nomad. I'm still figuring out what that means. I just know I'm a digital nomad. <laughs> I just, I just, it, it'll, I it'll come to you. Don't worry. <laughs> it'll come to me. I, you know, I put everything in storage. I think everybody thought I was joking, but I said, I want 15 totes in storage. I will have three suitcases, my knapsack and my purse. And that's it. So I have um, Mm. all of that. I was able to do that. Um, And then I actually have four bags instead of the three suitcases. So I need to work on that. But (laughs) um, because that wasn't what I said I wanted. Mm -hmm. But this I think it's been a great purging uh, process for me because we acquire a lot of things. And I've been a minimalist for a very long time. And packing and moving gives me anxiety because it means I have to go through stuff. And it's a reminder that I may have failed a little bit in my efforts to be a minimalist. And saying limiting myself to 15 plastic totes for 51 years of living. Um, And I kept two pieces of furniture. Everything else I threw away, donated um, I didn't even sell. I just gave stuff to people. So mm. if you wanted, you had a deadline. But it was the most freeing part of the process. Yeah. How much that my ability to move around the country or around the world, I can do what I want to do, is based on how much stuff I have to take around. I don't, and I now know I never want to be bogged down by a lot of things that I would be afraid to get up and move again if I can. I'm doing this while I can because there's going to become a season that I'm not going to be able to, whether it be because my parents are older or just because I'm older, that I'm not going to be able to do it. So I said, I'm going to enjoy this now. I'm going to give myself 12 months Mm -hmm. um, to do it. um, And then we'll reevaluate what this means again. If I can do it another 12 months or another six months, I'll go until I I know when it's time to say, you need to settle down somewhere and get your stuff out of storage. (laughs) So here's here's something. This is a wrinkle I've added to the podcast, and and I'm going to ask all my guests this. Uh, Imagine that you are a skywriter, and uh, the message that you write in your plane, the entire country can see it. What's a one-sentence message that you would write for the nation to see. Oh, Eddie. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, this is going to be good. It is going to be good because it's going to show you how much I love hip hop. It's not even going to be motivational. How you like me now? Hey, that is the message I'm leaving. That's the message I want people to see for anyone that has doubted me or people like me who have um, given people a hard time um, when they were just trying to do good um, versus sitting down and having a conversation or people that try to just silence people. How you like me now? So that's what, that's what would be written with my plane. It's your message is your plane is all you. And by the way, Kudos for quoting Cool Mo D. I was a huge <laughs> Cool Mo D fan. Huge Cool Mo D fan. So. That is that's that's it. That's it. That's it. I speak in lyrics most times. Um, it's a joke to a lot of people, but I I do speak in lyrics, and 
Um, because sometimes those lyrics or just a line out of a mm-hmm. song really helps to shape what I'm feeling in that moment or what I really want to say. But if I can say with lyrics, I'll probably get in less trouble. <laughs> and if I say what's really on my mind. And so that's it. How you like me now? Kimberly O'Neill coming back like return of the Jedi. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, don't get started. <laughs> Kimberly O'Neill is a social entrepreneur. She serves as the CEO of Giving Blueprint. She's the creator of Call Studio, and her information is all in the show notes. So, Kim, if anybody wants to reach out to you, follow you. (laughs) I mean, and they only have one way to do it now. They can't do it physically. But if they wanted to reach out to you or uh, connect with you in some way, how can they do it? Just Kim Online everywhere on social media. Um, And also Just Kim Online dot com um that's the easiest way because i'm always on social media in some way even if i'm not posting i'm there so that's the best way to connect with me even on linkedin cool beans kim thanks a lot for joining me on our, thank on, you uh, on for our edification i was about to do my other podcast for our edification <laughs> Many thanks to Kimberly O'Neill for joining me on this episode for our edification. To find out more about her again, just go to justkimonline.com. So let's have a change of pace here and let's turn our attention to the unfortunate case of Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, a vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University in Missouri, who died by suicide January 8th. And, um, We know that she was only 49 years old and she was married. She was beloved, uh, not only by her family, not only by her husband, definitely by her sorors of Alpha Kappa Alpha, but also colleagues, friends and students and fellow alumni. She was terminated by the university's president January 3rd. Now, we know about the email that she sent to several parties And she wrote in the email that she was, quote, intentionally harassed and bullied. Uh, She wrote that when she asked for help from the university president, who she reported to, that he ignored her requests. Um, And she wrote that when she was face to face with him, uh, he danced around the topic in her words. She wrote, quote, you intentionally harassed and bullied me and got satisfaction from sitting back to determine how you would ensure I failed as an employee and proud alumna. End quote. I want to come back to that proud alumna part because that is significant. But a friend saw her at the university's homecoming in October of 23 uh, when Dr. Candia Bailey said that. Um, The job depressed her and another friend recalled her saying, quote, I'm just trying to make it through, end quote. So let's note that this is being investigated, this uh, case by a third party. But I got to tell you something. I'm just trying to make it through. I have worked in higher ed. I've worked at three institutions of higher learning And I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people say almost those exact words. I'm just trying to make it through. And yes, I have not said those exact words, but people have asked me, Eddie, how are you? And I have said, I'm just trying to make it. Sometimes I've even said, 
I'm just trying to make it to next week or I'm just trying to make it to tomorrow. And the reason is the amount of pressure that I was feeling at those times. I have to tell you that, and I'm going to tell you my story in just a little bit, but I have to tell you, I felt very alone. I felt as if I wasn't good enough. And I felt that no one could help me solve the problems that I was experiencing at those times. And I was experiencing those problems because of the way other people treated me. Think of what Kimberly O'Neill said in the interview that we just did. Right. She talked about the pressure that we take on as black folks. And there's something to that. There's something to that added pressure that we take because we want to achieve. We want to overcome. We want to do the job. We want excellence from ourselves and we expect it of ourselves, regardless of what other folks may say or what other folks may think. It is what we want from ourselves. But then think about the things that Kim said as a result of how she felt about herself and, and, and things that were going through her head as a result of workplace bullying. Something, as she and I discussed, was documented in an article about it. Now, add to that, if you are someone who is an alum of your institution and you take your time, your energy, your talents, your skills, and your knowledge back to your alma mater. Now for HBCU alumni, this is where I wanted to circle back to her being a proud alumna. That is not something that is in a vacuum. Having worked at three HBCUs, here's what I know. I know that for alumni to work at their institutions, for many of them, it is a high honor. And it's because of what I just said. They want to take their, their, their time, their talents, their knowledge, their expertise, their skills back to a place that really help, helped them realize just how special they are. They want to take it back to that place that showed them how valuable they are. Now, you have some cynical people who will say things like, well, a lot of these people who graduated from HBCUs and they go back to the HBCUs is probably because they can't get another job. That may be true in some cases, but let me just tell you without a shadow of a doubt, in many cases, that is not true. In many cases, you have people who go back to their alma maters or you have HBCU alumni who go work at another HBCU because that is something they identify as their mission. And they know good and well that they could go somewhere else and probably make a lot more money. But they choose. They choose because it is in their hearts to be at those institutions. HBCU alumni are very emotionally tied to their institutions or to other HBCUs. And it's not unique to HBCUs, but it is definitely something that is significant when it comes down to HBCUs. So imagine being that person who goes back to your alma mater because there is research that shows 
that HBCUs are engines of social mobility. This place helped you reach a point of self-actualization in your life. And you go back and you work your butt off to put that place in the highest place that you could put it in terms of making it a great place to work, a great place to attend school. You put your effort into that and someone makes you feel as if what you do isn't good enough. Now, again, we do know that this is under investigation. So we do know that the president is going to, at some point, going to have to have his say in the matter. But what's troublesome here is that Dr. Candia Bailey felt so bad about her situation that she felt the need to end it, to end her life. Unfortunately, I can relate to this. And it's really hard for me not to get upset as I talk about this because I, at some point, considered harming myself as a result of workplace bullying. It has happened to me several times throughout my career. Several. My career started with workplace bullying. And has happened to me until recently in my career. Where people have done things and they have said things to make me feel as if I had zero value. And what happens is this. I would not be surprised if part of what bothered Dr. Candia Bailey is she thought to herself, I can't go get another job because nobody's going to want me. And if I stick around and, and listen to whatever feedback comes from the university board, well, it's going to be retaliation. The president is going to come after me if I see this through. So the best thing for me to do is to say my piece and go on my way. I wouldn't be surprised if that was her thought process. Because when you are someone who has high expectations of yourself, or let me speak for myself, in having very high expectations of myself, and then also on a neurodivergency note, there were things I didn't understand about the way my brain was operating. I couldn't understand why there were certain things that I couldn't do well. I couldn't understand why I just couldn't get certain things together. And to have people lording over you saying, oh, well, yeah, you, you can't get it together because you're really just not that good. You want to know what one person did to me? One person cut my salary by almost 50 percent. Yep. You know what another person did? Another person had just walked in to the facility. My new boss and this person immediately, almost immediately threatened me with my job, not because I had done anything wrong, but because they, quote unquote, heard some stuff about me, about how I did my job. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the situation that drove me to get so upset with myself that I wanted to harm myself was a completely different situation. Where I had worked my butt off 
I was having some personal issues, but the lack of humanity about the treatment that I got is what got me to a place of thinking nobody cares and nobody's going to miss me. Luckily, I called a friend who came to sit with me, talk me through it, help me realize that I have a lot of value. And I thank God for this friend every single day sometimes. What strikes me about Dr. Candia Bailey's situation is that one article I read, there were some very unkind comments that very much reflect the very thing that bothered her that much. Someone who wrote something to the effect of, well, maybe she just didn't do that great a job and that's why she got a poor performance review. Another person wrote something to the effect of, well, she said that she had depression and anxiety. And so with that mental health condition, maybe she should not have been hired in the first place. You know what? Neither one of those is the damn point. Regardless of whatever the situation was. People. And you've heard me say this before and or you heard me say this in the interview. Being valued matters. You can definitely correct someone. And I don't really like the word correct, but you can definitely adjust someone, help someone adjust what they're doing without making them feel like garbage. There is a way to help someone improve what they do at work because we spend most of our time at work. That's why this weighs so heavily on so many people. But there is definitely a way to leave people with their dignity, even when they're not doing the job well. That can be done. A great leader is someone who is ethical and empathetic. That is strength. And it is strength because you, as a leader, are working to bring the strengths out of other people. The point of this commentary is that if you are someone who's experiencing this, if you are in a situation where you feel that the people above you are treating you like garbage, there's a good chance you are not imagining it. Even if someone says, well, hold on, hold on. I don't think they really treat you like garbage. I mean, they can be really critical of you, but here's what you need to understand the way people react to that is relative. What hurts me may not hurt you. What hurts you may not hurt me. But what the responsibility of a leader is, is to have an idea of the impact of their words and actions on the people who follow them. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. I can't say it enough, but I want, I want you to do this. I want you to avoid cynicism here. Let's not go in a direction of these jobs don't care about you. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think what it is, is that you have jobs. These organizations have missions and there are people who don't follow the mission. Is it true that after we all go, 
that organization continues, yes, that's not a bad thing because that organization has got to serve more people that are going to be coming along. So it's not so much that these jobs don't care about you. It's the fact that sometimes, unfortunately, we get people in charge who don't know what the hell they're doing. And some of them do know, but a lot of them, they may not know what the hell that they're doing. I always say this as a former recruiter. Many times people don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad leadership. Take care of yourself. But don't go in the direction of cynicism of the job doesn't care about you. Stay focused on what's going to keep you healthy. Set boundaries is the first thing that I want you to do. That is one thing that really helped me manage my reaction to a lot of things. I got to a point in my career where after five o'clock, I was not accepting your phone call. Or if I did accept your phone call, we would have to have a conversation about how it could get done later if it wasn't an emergency or urgent. Okay. I found out the quality of leadership when I gave that response to folks. Seek help. I'm not shy at all. As you heard in the interview about talking about the fact that I had, I sought professional help for myself. It is one of the greatest gifts I've given myself. Everybody ain't able. I understand that. If you have insurance though, take advantage of the opportunity to seek help. And I will say this, it is not a one phone call thing. Go in with what you want to accomplish. Go in with an open mind of being willing to discover things that you may not think that you would discover. Just be open to finding out new things about yourself and figuring out how you can better handle life. Use your sick days. Going back to that, that, that commentary that, that Kimberly and I had about how black folks, we like to go into, we can't go anymore. We, we, we get into this martyr thing, man. Why? Why are we being martyrs? You have so many. I had hundreds of hours of sick uh, of sick time. I started using it. And again, I found out what kind of leader I was really dealing with when they had a certain reaction to me using my sick days for mental health days. And if all else fails, remove yourself from the environment. Might you lose some money? That's a distinct possibility. Will you leave a place that you love? That's a distinct possibility. Are you going to miss your coworkers? That's a distinct possibility. Is it going to take you off your track? That is a distinct your career track. That is a distinct possibility. But is it going to give you the opportunity to reset and to put your feet back on the ground tomorrow so that you can have better results tomorrow than you are having today? Absolutely. Lose a little money now. If that's the case, lose a little money now so that you can live to make more money later. And you never know how soon later can come. But whatever you do, if you got to remove yourself from the situation, remove yourself from the situation. It is not a failure. It is a setback, which means you can step back up. Get away from it all. No, no, no. I'm not talking about some lavish vacation. Whatever get away from it all means to you. Sometimes get away from it all means take a walk. 
I can't tell you how many times a simple walk helped me reset and deal with whatever was coming at me. But here's what you need to know. At the end of the day, you have value. You deserve to be treated as if you have value. Even when you make mistakes, you deserve to be treated with dignity and you deserve to be treated as if you have value. Maybe you are making mistakes because there is something that just doesn't fit your skill set, your knowledge base. Maybe that's the case. Maybe there's another opportunity you can take advantage of. Be creative. Create another opportunity for yourself. But whatever you do, remember that you have value and you deserve to be treated with dignity because someone on this earth needs you now. If you want to check out for our edification, go to my website, go to eddiefrancis.com. There are actually past episodes of other versions of the podcast that you can check out. Again, many thanks to Kimberly O'Neill for joining me on this episode. Download the podcast, give me some feedback, and please share this with friends. For my lovely wife, my featured co-host, Dr. Halima Malik Francis, I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of For Our Edification.